You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to the breakfast show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be with you. My name is Shah Al Munir Ahmed, and I'm joined here with my professional co host, Sharif Bunu. We are presenting. Sharif, uh, you're disturbing me right now. I'm still in the, you know, in the welcome <laughs> studio to welcome everyone. But okay, now you have to start laughing. How are you doing? Uh, well, you use the word professional. I don't know whether you could use that to describe me, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, I take it back. I take it back. Guys, uh, dear listeners, he's not professional. Not at all. <laughs> That's right, come. Peace and blessing of Allah be upon you. I am good, sir. How are you? I'm good. It's been a while since we have presented the show together. It, it has. I was off for for a few weeks. Um, yeah. Where have you been? Uh, COVID. Oh, really? Yeah, COVID got me... Um, a few weeks, like two, three weeks ago now, four weeks, yeah. And, and funny thing is, um, f- just a month ago maybe, uh, Joe Biden said or declared that COVID has ended, but here you go, that yeah. it is not, it is still there. It is very, it's very there. This was my first time. I've not had it, I've been blessed not to have it until now, because, my God, it was bad. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is. I can, I can imagine that. So, dear listeners, as you know, COVID has no end. We don't speak about it too much, but it is still here. So, take uh, all the measurement you have to take, and uh, make sure that you stay healthy as well. It's, uh, is it raining in Birmingham as well? Uh, sorry, you don't in Birmingham. Stroud. It's, uh, um, it's not at the moment, but it was earlier. Yes. Okay. Um, I think yeah, here it's still raining. It's crazy um so um sharif the thing is you just um just uh, mentioned about covid i just want to say that i'm still i'm scared too to be honest i haven't got covid mm. yet alhamdulillah but yeah. as you just said we need to be uh, we need to take care of ourselves i'm still wearing the mask everywhere where i go it's been a part mm. of my um clothing now and uh, i'm Sometimes I'm surprised that people are not taking care of it anymore. So this is something we need to do. Um, Sharif, are you listening? Are you watching to the questions to the Prime Minister? Um, I haven't in the last few days. I've been, I've been otherwise busy. But I did watch a few of them um, last week and the week before, but not, not lately, no. So recently, no. Um, you know... Um, we have always Keir Starmer's. Mm-hmm. He's always there. And yes, you know, um, with the Prime Ministers, we have um, so uh, a new Prime Minister. And Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer's, they got in between of each other again. And they argued. They told what they have done mm-hmm. and what the other party has done wrong. But what I think is that um, what I've realized is now that being a Prime Minister is not easy. And if it's not something I would do, okay, I, I would say that, okay, I would do it. Because mm. I know from that point out, if I have a opponent like Keir Starmer or someone else who will question me different questions, no, forget it. It's it's very difficult. Uh, and um, it's not an easy job, especially nowadays uh, after what happened with the Tory parties and the scandals which came out. Mm. It's not easy for Rishi Sunak, but 
what surprised me and what makes me happy is um, Sharif, almost 100 years ago, the founder of his community, Azamizah Ghulam Ahmed from Qadian, he he, he uh, pleased or, or he basically showed his respect towards Her Majesty Queen Victoria mm-hmm. at that time and yes. the way she, uh, she has handled or the way she has ruled her kingdom and yes. and now we are living in Great Britain where the king is a Christian mm-hmm. and the prime minister is a Hindu and so yep. you see that still this kingdom is still or just yet yeah, this government is ruled with justice as well this is what Quran actually explains us that if you give authority to someone then give it with, with justice or you know that that person can mm. go and can handle everything with justice as well and this is something very remarkable which always you know um, brings me back to the time when the problem Silas had some basically said that towards her majesty and it is still implemented in the time mm-hmm. Of His Majesty, it is amazing. Yeah, it, it is. And if you look at you know, with all the negativity that the, in the press at the moment, with everything that's going on, the way the UK and the UK government treats its um, its citizens is admirable in the sense of the freedom that we have. So you know, the true justice and true. Um, Um, equality that we talk about and what the promised Messiah talked about about true justice and when we look at what we're experiencing at the moment when freedom of speech freedom of religion freedom of expression freedom of movement and all of that is part of an Islamic teaching that the UK kind of embodies and displays and we are able to live through that era where regardless and even if you read the the um, tribute mm. that His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed um, played to the Queen when she passed away a few weeks ago, that shows that this kingdom has been good to its people and it's been a true advocate for peace, security and freedom. And the Queen, over the 75 years of her reign, has been the embodiment of that and now we pray and we hope that King Charles continues that journey but I wanted to go back to one point that you mm. said about being a Prime Minister and it's a hard job I don't think anyone thought it was an easy job because if you look at the hard time that even in, in my time that David Cameron um, Theresa May Boris Johnson and now Rishi Sunak and even Lee Strauss had um, as Prime Minister, you you would realize that it's not an easy job to be at the top of the government and the highest post in the land. What's remarkable to see is that this debate, this challenges that happens in the in, um, in the Parliament, this is what we were missing for years, mm. where we don't have ideology being de- uh, being debated. We were debating trivia and. And nonsense, really, when you look at the party gate um, discussions that's been happening and all the the nonsense that we had before that. Whereas now we're we're seeing debates, we're seeing issues being raised, we're seeing the asylum crisis being picked up by Keir Starmer and and Rishi Sunak debating that in 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 the Commons. So this is what was missing for years and years, and now 
we're seeing some kind of almost respect between the parties, even though it can be seen as adversarial. But this is what democracy is. You have two parties on opposite sides arguing and giving their opinion and how things should be done. No, you're true with that. Uh, no, definitely. Um, Sharif, uh, um, because you're born here, uh, or you have we have brought up here in the society, you know, uh, mm-hmm. when, when you mentioning when you were mentioning that His Holiness Mr. Masoodam and May Allah be helper, the head of mm-hmm. the Ahmadi Muslim community has praised Her Majesty after her death. Um, I remember that um, you were there as well. Uh, the, uh, when we had the, that gathering about uh, for Dhamma Lamadia, the youth organization, and when His Holiness also came and atta- uh, and gave his keynote speech in the end, uh, I mm-hmm. remember ten minutes or maybe of more than that, he was praising Her Majesty for yes, yeah. the great, amazing work she has done. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, this is uh, something uh, I say to everyone that. Um, the reason, one reason I'm so glad and so happy as of this government is because I can call myself a Muslim freely, mm-hmm. without any danger, as compared to other Muslim countries. Unfortunately, where I can't mm. call myself a Muslim, I, we we can't pray in, in the Islamic way, even though we do, because it is a um, commandment from God. But this is how they are treating us, and here we we can live our religion, we can live it freely, and this is yeah. Amazing! This is because of that great uh, government we are living under. And um, you know, one thing as well, Sharif, um, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. When you would think about anything about Great Britain or about UK, the first thing which would come into your mind would always be Her Majesty. Even if you live outside the UK, mm. I'm talking about these people who are living basically outside the UK. They just simply know England and the big band. But before they think even about England or Great Britain, they will always think or they used to sing or remember Her Majesty because she was like a symbol of that country or the picture of mm. that country. And she has taken over basically three years after the Second World War and how she has handled this and how she brought everyone together and how she, the way she deals with these things in difficult times is amazing. And she has left a big legacy, and uh, as you said, we pray for His Majesty that mm-hmm. he continue with that great task. And I'm pretty sure that you know, if he, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the way he has already started it, how he praised the Islamic religion as well, and mm-hmm. how he, the, the, if he still continues with this, if he still um, do it uh, with justice, I'm pretty sure that um, we will. Awfully, uh, we would see again a, uh, a bright future for our children as well. This is what we need nowadays in this very difficult times as we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, you, just one thing. Um, I'm coming back now to um, our respected Prime Minister. You know, yesterday, mm-hmm. um, Keir Starmer has brought up some facts, and one fact was a bit um dis. Like I was frustrated to hear when he said that only four percent of people arriving in small boats last year had their asylum claim proce- proceeded, processed. Yeah, processed. Yeah. And I was like, I was shocked. I mean, like, really? This is mm. like how slow it is actually going. And I'm not here to mocking uh, the prime minister. No, not at all. But here I say that um, 
this is how he can how he can improve himself. This is how he can thought working on that as well to change few things as well for the betterment of this nation of this great nation as well and for the people mm. as well. Because it is a reason obviously people coming towards this country is because they always had a way of peace. They always thought okay, Great Britain is a country where we can live peacefully as well or peacefully as well because in the previous countries they used to live they never had mm. had those things. So I think because Great Britain has already given that picture, already has showed that this is a country where everyone will be treated equally. That's why these people are looking forward to come over here and to build up something here. And I think it's going to be also very good for Great Britain if they are able to or to manage to immigrate them or into this country as well, integrate in this country as well, because then they or the children will start living here as well and. It's gonna be very good for the company, uh, for for mm. for the country, uh, and I think um, as I said, this is something, something where Rishi Sunak, I definitely will start working on it as well, to change it and um, to make sure that whoever comes here has the right uh, to live here and get his asylum done. Um, correct, and and you know that we've been hearing over the last few well few years now that our asylum system and the home office is broken. And I don't, I don't disagree with that statement in essence when you hear that, um, you know, only 4% of the asylum um, people that came in have had their, um, their asylum claim process. And if you think about this year alone, we've had over 40,000 illegal immigrants that have crossed the channel, which have cost um, taxpayers over 5.6% million pound a day according to the bbc but you know you have to look at it uh, objectively and uh, you look at the facts that um, rishi sadak presented yesterday about the increase in number processing officials at the home office by 80 percent and that's quite significant mm. if you think about anywhere that you know they had circa 500 or so um employees and now They've increased that by 80%. That's almost a double. You know, they've taken it to over a thousand now. So, you know, they are doing something, but it's still not perfect. And I don't think we'll ever get to a perfect system because there's always going to be a backlog because people are always going to try to come in, always going to try to get a better um, uh, life um, that they have in other countries and they see the UK for the reason that you've already mentioned has that place where they get they do get that better life they do get better opportunities they do get true freedom true religious freedom and this is what the UK stands for and this is why people are constantly trying to come over no true um Shreve, um, I don't know if you have uh, read the newspaper today um, about Home Office. You were just mentioning it. Mm. The Guardian is saying that Home Office abandoned Manson asylum seekers on London Street. Though the ongoing migrant crisis leads most papers with The Guardian splashing on news that a group of migrants were mistakenly taken from Kent and left stranded in central London without food or accommodation. This is something, you know, um, Shreve. You we both say that that um migrant people are coming over here for a brighter future, mm. and we need to help them. It's not easy to start living in different um uh, in a different place. It's a new thing, and 
it's sometimes it takes times as well but we need to help them we need to come forward you know um in arabic the word human the, the word for human which is used is is an an which means basically mm-hmm. comes from uh, which means basically you know someone who has love or who can yeah you can bring uh, love or can show love as well and it is very remarkable that allah has used this word also in the quran that we are basically someone we human being who can show um sympathy or yeah sympathy to other people as well and that we should work on that as well because we have these things and with that you know a lot of problem we see in our society in our surrounding will go away racism mm. will go away uh, we have a peaceful society peaceful um yeah i mean we would know that death no harm for our children as well and uh, you know, that's why i that's why i believe also in humanity that humanity somehow will come forward will change as well uh this is what islam's telling us as well that when you fulfill the rights of allah while, while you worshiping when you follow his <coughs> commandments etc you also should for, uh, fulfill the rights of his creation which is of course um mm. taking care of them and make sure that they have live live and peacefully you know it is shrib it's a very beautiful thing of the holy prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that um you can that you should wish for your brother the same what you wish for yourself as well yeah and everyone i'm sure you agree as well that you want to live without any problems without any depression without any yeah without any distress only to live in peace and harmony with everyone mm. am, am i right with that absolutely you know and and this is what we should aim for and the thing is we we live in a society where prejudice and racism is prevalent even though it's subtle it's it's in in the way that we treat one another but islam teaches us like you rightly said to love for thy for bro- for your brother what you love for yourself and that is such a beautiful teaching and if you ponder upon that you'll get to understand how islam operates and you think about love for for your brother what you love for yourself it's not telling you to you know like sometimes we you know when we give charity or we give our old clothes to to charity this is not what islam is telling you it does say to give charity and to give those things but you should be also giving the things that you love for yourself so you shouldn't be giving away things like that are used that nobody that you wouldn't use yourself so you should be giving things that are good that you would wear yourself this is such a beautiful teaching and the more you spend time thinking about it and reading about it the more you understand how beautiful the teachings of islam is no indeed it is um see are you a basic are you watching sports and it's <laughs> again No, no. I'm I'm I've not followed sports in a long time. A funny thing is that um I basically I thought I'm a sport addicted, but I just realized I'm not. Uh the Cricket World Cup is happening. What's going on? Uh and uh I I simply don't don't know anything about it. What who played, who won, who was first, who was second mm. etc. But I know it's going on. It's still going on. Uh and uh I'm just excited about that uh, in f- less than three weeks the wo- football world cup will start. And uh, Sharif, um, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, uh, about sports. I mean, 
I think sport is what I've seen. Sport is is something it brings people from different background together. You know, if you mm-hmm. for example, if you just take football, you see that people from um, different backgrounds, you know, playing in one team. I think sport is mm-hmm. also a good way um, to bring people together. Mm. It, it is, and it's we've seen it over over the years that sports does more good than bad. So you have, you know, you have the divide between who supports who and and um, and vice versa, but. When it comes to bringing, like FIFA World Cup, for example, is a good example of how it's bringing people together, even though there are controversies around it when it comes to where it's being held and what that mm. means for human rights and everything else. But it's still bringing different nations together. And if you look at how the UK was transformed after the 2012 Olympics here in London, so you can see the benefits and how much good sports does besides just being good for your health it's as additional benefit for society as a whole no true yeah true it's it's beneficial for a whole society no you're right with that um who are you supporting during the world cup i'm i'm an england supporter (laughs) all in all in win or lose i'm english no that's true that's good (laughs) Um, it's going to be very exciting, but I think this time uh, what I've seen is that well, I think if it's going to be one of those two countries, Brazil or Argentina. Both are very good. But this is something uh, you know we will see uh, in the future. Um, dear listeners, um, we will go now for a short break and after the short break we'll be back with our first uh, topic with the social so- is. So, sorry, social isolation may impact brain volume in regions linked to higher risk of dementia. So, dear listeners, um, we will be back uh, after a short break. And after that, my not-so-professional co-host will explain us what dementia actually is. So, stay with us. We will be back after the short break. Now, one thing that stands out about Hazrat Usman anhu, and Hazur has spoken about this, he, he mentions his incidences of generosity and compassion and, and love for the brothers and sisters of, of Islam. Where the Muslims in Medina were again suffering from a famine and, and, and a drought, Hazrat Usman anhu, he, at this time he is returning from a business trip and he has so many different goods with him. And the, and the, and the merchants and the businessmen of, of Medina approach him at that time and they say to him, look, at this time, we can all get together. We can happily, easily boycott all of the residents of Medina. We can bump up the prices of our goods and we can make a huge profit because these people are desperate. They have no choice but to buy from us. Hazrat Usman, anhu, when he heard this, all of the goods that he had initially planned to sell to the people of Medina, he distributed them amongst all of the people, free of cost, without any recompense from anybody else. Now this was his generosity and his compassion for the people living there at that time. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to the breakfast show. My name is Shah Ahmed, and I'm joined here with my co-host Sharif Bunu. Sharif, um, also to you, a welcome back, a warm welcome back, um, Sharif. Um, the first topic we are going to discuss today is more about dementia. So the gist of the story is that social isolation is linked to lower brain volume in areas related to cognition and a higher risk of dementia. 
Now, according to research, um, it is found that social isolation was linked to a 26 increased risk of dementia, separately from risk factors like depression and loneliness. Now, Sharif, <coughs> dementia is something um, people are scared to have or are scared to have this. Um, and uh, basically, it's something um, you have heard quite often nowadays. Um, what is this? what is dementia basically, and what effect can this have on our body, or especially on our brain? Well, um, dementia is caused by damage to brain cells. This damage interferes with the ability of the brain cells to communicate with each other. When brain cells cannot communicate normally, thinking, behavior, and feelings can be affected. The brain has many distinct regions each of which is responsible for different functions, for example, memory, judgment, movement. When cells in a particular region are damaged, that region cannot carry out its functions normally. So there are different types of uh, dementia, um, which are associated with particular types of the brain cells in particular regions of the brain. For example, in uh, Alzheimer's disease, high level of certain proteins inside and outside brain cells make it hard for brain cells to stay healthy and to communicate with each other. The brain region, called the hippocampus, is the center of learning and memory in the brain, and the brain cells in this region are often the first to be damaged. That's why um, memory loss is often the one of the earliest symptoms of Alzheimer's. And some of the factors um, that can increase the chances of developing dementia, um, so there are many factors that can eventually contribute to dementia. Mm -hmm. Some factors such as age can't be changed. Others can be addressed to reduce your risk. So factors that can't be changed such as age, so the risk rises as you age, especially after the age of 65. However, dementia isn't a normal part of aging, and dementia can occur in younger people. So family history plays a big part in it. So um, when you look at family history, it puts you at greater risk of developing the condition. However, many people with family history never develop symptoms and many people without a family history do develop it. There are tests to determine whether you have specific genetic mutations that can be done. Okay. Now, this is interesting, uh, Sharif, and uh, um, I want to hear more about these things. But before we do so, um, Sharif, we have uh, our first guest with us. It is Helen Green. Uh, she's an admiral nurse at Dementia UK, and since, since she has qualified as a mental health nurse in 2002, Helen Green has worked across various settings, including hospitals, care homes, and community teams. Helen has been an admiral nurse at Dementia UK since 2015, and as project lead for the Closer to Home Clinic, she has been able to support and implement the development of a virtual service. This offers video and telephone calls to families affected by dementia and enables carers to strengthen their own knowledge and realize during times of difficulty. Wow, this is very important and it's very interesting. Um, Helen Green, uh, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning and thank you for inviting me along. 
Um, no, it's our pleasure to have you with us. Um, Helen Green, um, we are talking about dementia. Uh, can you tell us what dementia actually is, what kind of risk dementia brings with it, and the increase of dementia, to have a the increase yes. of chance to have dementia? Yeah, by all means. So um, dementia is a a condition that affects the, the structure and the function of the brain, which then in turn... Um, changes how the person their their cognitive functioning so their their problem solving their their language their their memory as well that they're, they're kind of the the signs and symptoms of dementia that most people are aware of um i i heard the the gentleman speaker before saying about kind of some of the risk factors for for dementia um in general terms, there, there isn't really a genetic link. There are some incredibly rare forms of dementia that do run in families, do have that genetic link, but they tend to be um, in, in younger adults. Um, some of the risk factors for developing dementia are actually other physical health issues, such as um, heart problems, problems with the blood pressure, any um, injuries to the brain. And then often it's about lifestyle. So it, the kind of general recommendation is that what's what's good for the heart is also good for the brain. So remaining active, having a healthy Mediterranean-style diet with the mm. plenty of fresh fruit and vegetables and those kind of things. Um, Helen, um, does mm -hmm. socialization in any way help um, the development of dementia? If not, how does it play a role in helping those who have developed dementia? I think with with socialization, it's about the emotional benefit for the person. So certainly when people are social characters, and as human beings, there is this need to connect with others and spend time with other people. And when we are isolated, there's not the same opportunity to use our cognitive ability so obviously when we are with other people we are listening to what they're saying we are thinking about the words being spoken we are formulating our own responses and when you are isolated that area of the brain may not be being used as much but I think primarily that the concern around social isolation is the impact it then has on the person's emotional health and their mental well-being. And when we are isolated, when we don't have that contact with other human beings, there is the potential to become low in mood. And low mood can affect your concentration and affect your motivation. Mm -hmm. And I think um, in terms of increasing social contact for people who already have a diagnosis of dementia it's very much down to the individual so if you have a person who's um, kind of always preferred their own company to suddenly be in a room full of people may not be the best approach and could actually lead to increased anxiety mm -hmm. so yeah. as an Apple nurse I'd, I'd, I'd strongly advise look at what what activities and what hobbies the person has enjoyed in the past and then think about how you could adapt that to the person's current abilities. That, that's really interesting. And 
I I think this is a point that a lot of a lot of the time people miss is that there are certain people I I include <clears throat> excuse me I include myself in that that I like mm-hmm. my own company more than I yeah. like to socialize most of the time and a lot of the times I I don't have a problem with um big groups or socializing or anything like that but I can imagine that if if I was affected by this that I would prefer mm-hmm. to be within my own self rather than in big groups and how that that that's good to hear that you know this is something that we need to look after and kind of understand the person and tailor the treatment to to what they need yeah absolutely and i think as well for someone living with dementia if if their communication in particular is is affected to then be mm-hmm. put in a room full of strangers that could actually increase the anxiety and you know, I know myself, I can be in a room full of people, but if I don't know those people, I'm still feeling quite lonely. Mm-hmm. So it is it is very much about thinking about what the person's preferences have been historically mm-hmm. and how can you then support them in, in hobbies or ways of engaging with other people that would appeal to them. It's it's definitely not a one a one situation fits all. And for those that do prefer their own company, of course, there's there's support such as Silverline, which is a a telephone service where you can speak to people over the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, In some areas, quite a few of the charities have a befriending service, so it's an individual that will come and visit you within your own home. And these are really good alternatives to someone then attending a large group. And I think if you were looking at supporting somebody to attend a group, try and think about something that has an activity that the person's already got an interest in. So there are lots of groups based around music or based around um, activity and exercise. And it kind of by having something to do whilst you're in the group, it then reduces the the kind of pressure to be talking and engaged in conversation. Mm, that's interesting. Um, Helen, um, I'm actually... Uh just googled you home uh, closer to home project and mm-hmm. i found that website dementiauk.org it's very interesting and can you just for our listeners simply introduce that project and where can people access to the project or how can they get in contact with you guys yes absolutely so the closer to home project is a, a virtual clinic service that was launched during the pandemic and and we recognize that obviously a lot of services have to close during this time mm-hmm. and for families living with dementia there was suddenly a lot less support so the virtual clinic service if you go to the website which is dementiauk.org and look for our service around getting support and basically what people can do is book an appointment at a time and a date that suits them and you can either have a 45-minute telephone call or a 45-minute video session, and we use um, Microsoft Teams. Um, the, the other option that we have is the Admiral Nurse Dementia Helpline. So it's a free phone telephone number, and you can contact that telephone number Im- immediately. Um, it's open from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. weekdays and 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. weekends. And the telephone number is 0800-888-6678. So we have the two options there. If you need a more immediate answer, 
helpline is available. The idea with the virtual clinic is that you can make an appointment at a time that suits you. No, that's Both not. options would get you through to an admiral nurse, so that dementia specialist. No, that's amazing. So, dear listeners, the number is 0800-888-6678, right? 0800-888-6678. That's right. That's right. So, dear listeners, this is the number uh, if you want to acquire from help, you can do so. Um, Shadi, I, th I think you have a question as well for her. Um, yes, Helen. Um, one of the things I saw here mentioned in the intro is that you're an admiral nurse. Um, mm -hmm. This is something that I personally have not come across, and I think a lot of our listeners would not have heard that term before. But could you just tell us a bit more? What does admiral nurse mean? Absolutely, yes. So um, admiral nurses are part of the specialist dementia charity, Dementia UK. Um, and the role of an admiral nurse, we are qualified nurses with a vast amount of experience in supporting families living with dementia. And our role is to provide clinical, emotional and practical support. And we look to enable people to live more positively with dementia. So as an admiral nurse, our focus would be on supporting the, the family and the carer of the person living with the condition. Amazing. Um, Helen, uh, thank you for joining uh, the Breakfast Show. I wish you all the best. With My the pleasure. And with your work as well. Thank you and uh, have, have a good day. Bye. So, dear listeners, um, this was uh, Helen Green. And uh, it's very, it's very, this is also important, I think, uh, um, Sharif, to know about these things, about, to know about the activities and to know what we can do as mm. well to help uh, people um, who are suffering um, how, and uh, I think this was very uh, and, and great, a uh, uh, lot of information she actually gave, and it's actually very good that she, uh, yeah we were able to uh, just show that um, we have also role to play to help people to go through that. What's What's interesting is, and I think, <clears throat> and we've covered that in the past, is the role of the Mediterranean diet plays in our well-being. Mm. So in the past, we've had a few shows where we've talked about diets and and what's best. And this word Mediterranean diet seems to come back in, um, every time that it is kind of the best type of diet that we can have with lots of fruits, nuts, um, olive oil, those kind of healthy um, diet that, that we can help. And even now we're seeing that that kind of diet can help with people to either reduce the side effect of dementia or even um, help in um, preventing it. No, it is. I think, I mean, these things you just mentioned, uh, like these fruits, they, they are mentioned also in the Holy Quran and um, to, to take them or to take benefits from them. It's very important that we, sh we stay healthy as well. Uh, always, Sharif, I mean, everywhere we go, If you go to the doctor, he will say the same thing, that you should stay healthy as well, that you should have a healthy diet as well. And these things are very important. Um, Sharif, um, I know that before we started the interview, I stopped you by some facts which you were telling yeah. us. Um, if you don't mind, um, can we just go back to that 
those things and yeah so we were we were talking about risk factors and uh, what will contribute to developing increase your chances of developing dementia so we talked about family history and like helen said there is no clear link mm -hmm. between um dementia right. and and um and you will get it but but there are some rare ones that will will do cause um, that genetic mutation and family do get it. The next one is um, Down syndrome. So by middle age, many people with Down syndrome develop an early onset Alzheimer's disease. But like we've been talking um, just now, the other risk factor can be diet and exercise. So research have shown that lack of exercise increases the risk of dementia. And while there is no specific diet in, in, um, to reduce the risk of dementia, research indicates that a greater incidence of dementia in people who eat an unhealthy diet compared to those who follow a Mediterranean diet rich in produced whole grains, nuts, and seeds. And, and the other one that um, increases the risk of dementia is excessive alcohol use. Mm. So drinking large amounts of alcohol has long been known to cause brain changes. Several large studies and reviews found that alcohol use disorders um, were linked to an increased risk of dementia, particularly early onset dementia. Then you've got what Ellen also mentioned, cardiovascular risk factors. These include high blood pressure, hypertension, high cholesterol, buildup of fats in your artery walls and obesity. And, and the next one that um, um, is depression. Although not yet well understood, late life depression might indicate um, the development of dementia. Um, diabetes is another one, smoking is another one. So while diabetes um, may increase your risk of dementia, especially if poorly controlled, and smoking might increase your risk of developing dementia and blood vessel diseases. So we can see that all the stuff that we kind of already know are bad for you, are also not only bad for your health, but increases your risk of developing um, dementia, Alzheimer's diseases over time. Mm, interesting. Um, should he, uh, yeah, these things I just mentioned, and uh, the thing that Alan just, just mentioned is um, something it's basically for us or for those who let's say are taking alcohol or have not a good diet i think for them it is time then to change the way they're living as well the way um if they are lazy to get active as well to go out and just take a walk for at least 45 minutes or to ride a bicycle as well for 45 minutes so basically and the most important thing was that no i'm if i try to summarize everything is have a good healthy diet be active be good to other people stay positive as well and have that positive energy uh, try to give it forward to those people in your surroundings as well and especially you know when you just mentioned about um, even about alcohol I mean even the Holy Quran just has forbade, uh, forbade us to drink or to use alcohol as well these are things basically you know you, few of these things you just mentioned They were on now um, came out through a study. These things are were basically mentioned uh, almost 1,500 years ago by the Holy Prophet mm -hmm. Muhammad peace be upon him in the Holy Quran. And if you see, if 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 you see, and look, have a look on his life, he used to have a very healthy life as well. He 
um, used to go, I mean, after every morning prayer, he used to go for a walk as well with his companions. And uh, also, um, he would have a very, a very good, healthy diet as well. And the most important thing is that the companions would say, in regard of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that he would be the person who would smile the most, who would be a very positive person as well. And that positivity uh-huh. uh, would surround his uh community as well as people as well and they would take benefit from that uh, I think um, she basically um, studying the life of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him to know more to know the real life of well, the Holy Prophet so not the life which is unfortunately um, portrayed uh, or is already or which you can find unfortunately in Google no, dear listeners, I'm talking about the real life of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him uh, to see how he lived and what impact his life can have for us in this day and age as well. And not not just the impact, but the examples he had through great adversity and challenges he led by example, by doing, you know, from the way he treated his companion, his children, his his wife, his um, relatives, strangers, people that persecuted him, and also his lifestyle how he ate, how he lived, and all of that are examples for us. And there are many studies and many books that's been written to show that. No, indeed it is. Um, dear listeners, um, if you want to be a part of the show, if you want to be included in the show, or if you, th- or if you want to give you advice, if you have any about dementia or if you can call it any time at 020-868-7787 or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Make sure that you're being a part of the show as well. We just had a very great interview with um, Helen Green. She has said and she has mentioned many, many things which are very positively and very important for us as well. And of course, Sharif, you have also mentioned a few very important things as well. Dear listeners, um, we will be back after uh, the news break, so do me a favor, stay tuned with the Voice of Islam radio. And uh, after that, of course, we have Sharif Bono with more informatic facts. Stay tuned with Voice of Islam. Hazrat Umar, radiallahu anhu, was known for his great governance. He would often patrol the streets at night to ensure nobody was left suffering unduly. On one occasion, he was walking in the dark, and he heard some children crying. Attracted by the sound, he went to the tent from which it came. Whenever he got to the tent, he saw a woman sitting before a fire. It appeared the woman was cooking something while her small children sat crying nearby. It was late for the children to have their meal. Umar, radiallahu stepped up to the woman and inquired, what is in the pot on the fire? She explained that she had no food to give the children and had placed a pot full of water and stones on the fire in order to give them the impression that the food would be ready. Hazrat Umar, radiallahu anhu, was distressed to hear this. He hurried back to the state store, picked up a bag of flour, meat, cooking oil, and some dates, and rushed back to the tent. His servant begged him to let him carry the load. But he refused, saying, It is my responsibility. You will not carry my burden on the day of judgment. Arriving at the tent, he delivered the provisions to the woman and told her to prepare the meal. In the meantime, the children, so exhausted, had fallen asleep. 
Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu waited until the meal was fully prepared and the children were awakened and fed. The woman thanked him for his kindness and by way of expressing gratitude said, it would be far better if you were the Khalifa of the Muslims rather than that Umar who is not aware of the condition of his people. Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu said, well mother, Umar may not be so bad after all. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to The Breakfast Show. My name is Shahab bin Ahmed, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Sharif Bunu. Sharif, we, we, we were talk, talking about the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, before that, yes. before we went to do the break, um, and uh, how his way of living um, can actually inspire us to tackle kind of dementia. Um, mm. What is basically his teaching, or what is Islamic teaching in regards of going through that difficulty? Um, it's it's quite an interesting um, mm. perspective because um, in the Quran, in chapter 13, verse 29, Allah says, Those who believe and whose hearts find comfort in the remembrance of Allah, A, it is in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort. And we see that at the most basic level, prayer is good, even necessary for sound mental health. So this is what's interesting with Islam and we see time and time again in the Quran, the, the Quran talks about prayer and how prayer can um, bring us comfort. Mm. And it doesn't, you know, there are, there are various ways that people pray. And we see it in different religions also, that brings them comfort. So you in see, Christianity... Uh, sorry, when you were on, talking about, sorry. sorry, when you were talking about comfort and that of remembrance of Allah, mm can give us like hope or brings hope into our heart um, yes. I have a short clip to play it's basically okay. in regards of this um, it's not long and after that um, we just can continue with that so it's a short clip a verse of the Holy Quran where Allah tells us that Allah has provided you all that you wanted of him and if you try to count the favors of Allah you will not be able to number them there are countless blessings of Allah upon the lives of each one of us. But uh, the unfortunate situation is that we take things for granted and we do not feel grateful to Allah uh, for these favors. We are not conscious sometimes of the favors being showered upon us. Shri, very interesting. Um, basically, you are saying that with the remembrance of Allah we can have hope, we can find comfort in our heart and the, the gentleman in the clip said that we should also count the favors that Allah has sent upon us or he has done uh, for us. They're countless, actually, if you start counting them. Uh, we count, but the most important thing is that he has given us life as well. He has given us, let's say, a government where you can live peacefully, house, clothes, food. So, and, and these are just a simple thing we have, but there are many, many, many more if we just Go dig into it very closely, dear listeners. If you if you start digging into that, you will see that there are very very many many favors Allah has done for us, Sharif. Um, please carry on. Um, no, what you know, you're absolutely right. And when you start to think about the simple favors, you know, your eyes, your ears, your mm. nose, mm. your hand, your walking, your lungs. You know, your lungs, your intellectual capacity, your brain, um, your senses, everything. Exactly, all of these. You, 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 
like like the I, I I did not rec I did not recognize the voice of whoever was talking in the clip, but you know that that countless it truly is countless the blessing that we have been bestowed by God the Almighty, and when you start to ponder upon that, that's when you become grateful, and by becoming grateful you become content in terms of what you have, and this is what. I personally feel is missing in our society at the moment. People look at influencers, people look at Netflix shows that are currently showing on uh, you know the top 10 in the UK at the moment are ridiculous and they're telling people these are how people live in those luxurious way. It's making people want and you know, um, try to achieve those and never be happy. And this is what it, Islam teaches us to go against. It's like to be content with what we have, to be happy with what blessings God the Almighty has bestowed upon us, and also how to live a life of contentment and to be grateful to God and to find comfort and, and um, to be resolute in what God has given us and to find how we are able to show gratefulness and and it goes even further Islam teaches us that in order to be grateful to God we have to be grateful to mankind you know treat men you know um, I forgot the Arabic term and I'm sure you're going to correct me Shahil um, you know the duty to man um, after God the duty to God and then there's a duty to man so all of that comes into the teaching of Islam and how we lead our life so you basically you speaking about hukukullah and hukukulibat fulfill the rights of Allah exactly yes. Right. Yes. Okay, yes yeah sorry I just wanted to like uh, just mention the Arabic word because you asked for it no, yeah perfectly and and there is a really good when we're talking about dementia and looking on after the elderly and we know that dementia from the research goes um, it's more likely that you'll be in the elderly after the age of 65 even though there are people that will get it early on but there is a good um, um, quote from His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Dahir Ahmed, mm -hmm. the fourth caliph of the Ahmadi community, where he talks about um, the responsibility for care of the aged is gradually shifting to the state. Care of the aged represents a heavy burden on the national economy. However, much a state is ready to spend, it can never buy them peace and contentment. The, more the most terrible feeling of having been rejected, left out, and abandoned and the most painful realization of grow of a growing growing void of loneliness within our problems beyond the reach of many to resolve to consider that comparatively remote relative would ever be taken care of by the rest of the family has become almost impossible to imagine in predominantly muslim countries however much values have been um, have deteriorated. The conditions which prevail in the rest of the contemporary world is unthinkable. It is considered a disgrace and dishonor for the old and the aged to be treated with such disrespect and callousness. It is a matter of shame for most Muslims to hand over the responsibility of the elderly relative to the state, even if the state is willing to look after them. And and the, Allah says in the in, in the Holy Quran that worship not but Him, and show kindness to parents, 
And if one of them or both of them attained the age of, uh, attained all age with thee, never say unto them any word excessive of disgust, nor reproach them, but always address them with excellent speech, and lower to them the wings of humility out of tenderness, and say, My Lord, have mercy on them, even as they nourished me when I was a little child. And that's from chapter 17, verse 24 and 25. So we can see that at the core of the teaching of Islam is to look after our parents, and especially in their time of need. So if we find ourselves in a situation where our parents, after the age of 65 or even further, have developed this um, awful disease, and we can see that from that research, that that social element of it plays a big role in their mental state. And this is what Islam teaches us, is that to look after our parents and and to make sure that they are taken care of. Mm, I'm sure that um, the thing of the Prophet as well, that paradise lies under the feet of your mother. Um, Shadif, but you know, um, before we go to a short break, I just want to say one thing. The age of 65 is where people think, okay, I'm old. But I remember that um, uh, if, you, if if I look uh, to His Holiness, Azamidah Masur Ahmed, he just well, a few weeks ago, he went to America. Uh, he, he has a busy schedule, but the way he looks after his uh, himself and he's very healthy you can see that um mm. and uh, i mean he is also a good role model for us for us uh, the member of the Muslim community that we should look after ourselves as well to of have course good yeah. i remember when i was i had the pleasure to be there in a gathering where he would be there as well where we would have food as well i remember he would never touch coke or any other fizzy drinks mm. and um he would not eat so much mm. but uh, no, uh, he would eat certain things uh, healthy things and he wouldn't like eat so much uh, he wouldn't even leave, uh, only eat a, le- a bit a little bit a yes. little bit and uh, this is uh, remarkable that he this is how he you know he looks after his um, diet as well and this is as I said he's a role model for us do you listen um, it is yeah and one thing I was um, you you kind of brought it up earlier with the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, that he used to go for walks every morning after the morning prayer. But we've seen that replicated with the caliphs. Indeed. I remember growing up near Fazl Mosque in London, where His Holiness, the fourth caliph, every morning after Fajr, the morning prayer, used to go for a nice long walk. And we used to go with him every so often, you know, as uh, youngsters. But even His Holiness, Mizza Masur Ahmed, now does it. But he's also very active. I've seen videos of His Holiness playing um, table tennis. Um, I know he's the fourth caliph used to play squash, badminton. So they all led a very active lifestyle. Indeed. On top of their busy schedule. Indeed. Indeed. They are, um, this is, um, we will go now for a short break and after the break we will be back with our second topic which is spiders caught in a web of misinformation. <laughs> Sharif, are you laughing because you were thinking about Spider-Man or are you laughing because of it's funny? Uh, I was thinking of Spider-Man. All right, because I was thinking the same. I was thinking the same. You can see that we are still very young. Um, do you listen to me back after a short break? Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Keeping good company. Prophet Muhammad, 
peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always preferred to keep company with the virtuous. And if he observed any weakness in any of his companions, he admonished him gently and in private. Abu Musa Ashari, peace be upon him, relates, The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, illustrated the benefit to be derived from good friends and virtuous companions. Abu Musa Ashari, peace be upon him, relates, The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, illustrated the benefit to be derived from good friends and virtuous companions and the injury to be apprehended from evil friends and vicious companions by saying, A man who keeps company with virtuous people is like a person who carries about musk with him. If he partakes of it, he derives benefit from it. If he sells it, he makes a profit out of it. And if he merely keeps it, he enjoys its perfume. A man who keeps company with evil persons is like one who blows into a charcoal furnace. All that he can expect is that a spark may alight upon his clothes and set them on fire, or that the gas emitted by the charcoal may upset his brain. He used to say that a man's character takes on the colour of the company he keeps, and that therefore one should be careful to spend one's time in the company of the good. Bukhari and Muslim In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to The Breakfast Show. You're listening to a Voice of Islam radio broadcasting from the biggest mosque here in Britain, the Bad of Two Mosque. My name is Shah Moon Ahmed and I'm joined here with Sharif Bono. And Sharif, because you are a big fan of Spider Man <laughs> I give you the, you know, I give you the big honor to tell us the gist of the story. Well, the gist of the story for this is even spiders it seems to have fallen victim to misinformation. Media reports about people's encounters with spiders tend to be full of falsehoods with a distinctly negative spin. An analysis of the decades worth of newspaper stories from dozens of countries finds that nearly half of the reports contain errors. So, right. Sorry, tell me, tell us, how do spiders benefit human beings other than giving us um superhuman powers in superhuman power um well what i've heard like when i was a child one of my old teachers you know um there are a few people you know they had that spider phobia and when mm -hmm. we used to be very small uh, when we used to go to school and when someone would see a spider especially yeah someone and then they was screaming around because there's a spider and our teacher will tell us listeners are tiny creatures and they are not harmful they are basically and then he said something they are basically very good for us that because if you don't like these things then you should definitely don't don't like um insects as well and these spiders are there to eat those insects which we don't like so this is one good benefit human being actually have uh, is to have that they basically are it's not it's it's true that they eat spiders eat a lot of insects insects and yeah. mostly of course uh, are smaller than them but taking as a whole you know spiders primary niche in early every ecosystem is controlling insects populations mm. so now um Some fa uh, families, like Orbeven, do this through passive hunting with their signature webs. Others, like wolf spiders, do this through active hunting. They can help reduce prey numbers early in the agriculture season, giving farmers 
horticulturistics and gardeners alike upon up on the season, according to Colorado State University. So basically, actually, the diet consists of, of of common insects, pets you find indoors, like roaches, arabics, flies, moth, and mosquito, etc. Yeah, this is this is really interesting because when you think about it, um, we have, especially where I live, we have a lot of spiders, and I've never really thought about it this way that the reason um, they are here is because they control insects infestation and and they also prevent spread of disease some of these pests that you've just mentioned like mosquitoes can cause like malaria and other diseases and they they eat them so they prevent the spread of those diseases their venom can also be used in medicine so Chilean um, scientists for example have explored its potential in erectile dysfunction treatment and male contraceptive pill. So we're seeing that even their venom can be used as medicine like we've seen um, in, um, in snakes also, that some of their venoms can be used in medicine. Silk is useful um, um, product of spiders and is used in war. Studies into the design and strength of spider's web have led to producing um, super strong artificial silk that scientists reckon can be used in parachutes and bulletproof vests. This is amazing. I've never, mm. I've never known this before. That the spider's web can, like studies of spider webs design, can um, can lead to this, like parachutes and bulletproof. When you think about the strength it must have, no. and it's also good for the environment. Spiders eating pests are also good for the ecosystem. So, like you've mentioned, it helps um, farmers by giving them a leg up and potentially could reduce the use of pesticides on their crops. No, it is uh, very interesting. Um, uh, Sharif, um, we have uh, Dr. Lena Grinstead with us. She, uh, she's a senior lecturer in zoology, School of biological science at the University of Portsmouth and her research interests focus on the evolution of group living. And now she's interested in understanding how animals have evolved to reap the benefits of living, feeding and breeding groups while minimizing the invisible cost of competing with group members for limited resources. Dr. Lena primarily uses group living spiders as a model organism, although she has also work with social insects such as ants and vests. Examples of her research direction involve investigation into cooperation, breeding, and helping behavior, adoption of foreign offspring, and group foraging. Um, Dr. Lena Grinstead, uh, good morning and welcome to the Bigfoot Show. Good morning and thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Um, Dr. Lena Grinstead, um, most people, they have actually a big fear of spider. I think it's called arachnophobia. But mm -hmm. I see from uh, your intro, you don't have that. Uh, what is it? How are you inspired of to have research on spiders or to do a research on spiders? And could you briefly explain what your research includes? Yeah, so I've always been fascinated by the by the biological world um, and interested in animal behavior and evolution of really interesting uh, behaviors. And I sort of stumbled upon research in, into spiders. And I did one project in my master's uh, many years ago um, on, on these really cool group living spiders. 
Um, and after I did that one project, I thought, okay, I, ha- I just have to continue studying these really amazing, super fascinating uh, animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done that ever since. And it's really just because I've, I've, I've realized just how many fascinating behaviors they, they can show these spiders. So um, the research I, I tend to do is to focus on um, h- how does group living evolve in, in any sort of animals, but I use spiders as a model organism. So um, so I tend to study these spiders that actually live in groups, they cooperate with each other within these groups, they share everything, so they catch prey together, they feed together, they even help each other with um, taking care of the babies, and it's really mm. fascinating to see these little these little animals actually helping each other out um, with all these different behaviors in the, in the colony, and they'll catch prey, and they'll feed it to the babies, and they'll... Um, you know they've got these fantastic uh, maternal care, really, um, really good mothers. You know, and helping each other out with, uh, with childcare. Amazing. This, this is really amazing and and interesting. Um, what uh, what makes these arachnids crucial to our environments and ecosystems, and how do they contribute to the planet on a daily basis? So. Um, so spiders are really, really uh, important for the ecosystem, but it's not just for the ecosystem. So if you think about um, spiders, so one thing I think we all know is that they're amazing predators, right? They're really um, efficient at catching insects, and that's because they have many different hunting strategies. So some spiders will build a web and they'll catch insects with that, but some spiders will crawl around. They've got a, hunt- a different type of hunting strategy. Um but uh, but in addition to that, they also serve as prey, actually. So they're not just predators uh, in in the ecosystem. They're also really important prey for a lot of different animals, for uh, birds, for hedgehogs, for lizards. Um, so they have that really important place, sort of in between, where they where they serve both as predators of insects, but also prey of uh, a lot of other animals. So that means that both in the ecosystem, they're really important but also um, in, in agriculture, they're really important because they help us uh, reduce pest insects in uh, agricultural mm. um, fields. But also inside our houses, actually, it's, it's really important to have spiders in our houses because we have a lot of um, insects that can, um, you know, but firstly, they can be sort of annoying, the mosquitoes and things like that in our houses and flies, but also little insects that sort of, you know, chew away at our walls and books and things like that and spiders will help us um, control those I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite glad you said that because I have quite a lot of spiders at home and Great. I need to be more, more, more careful about what I do with them yes absolutely you know I, I, I always say that a house with lots of spiders is a healthy house because you know the, the spiders will help you keep a clean home Mm. Oh wow! My, I, I'm sure my wife will be very glad to hear that um, <laughs> because she's the one telling me you can't do that to the spider. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. I, I never thought of it that way, but um, thank you for that. Um, in in your opinion, what is the best way to reduce this fear? Even I suffer from this fear. So sometimes mm-hmm. when I see a big spider, I you know there's a, there's an intrinsic fear not necessarily mm. an overwhelming one but it's there it's conscious what can we do to actually reduce that yeah so that is a really good question because of course fear you know in any sort of fear or phobia of of these type of animals that are not actually dangerous is um you know sort of um 
it's, it's not very helpful to be to be scared of something that's not actually <laughs> dangerous, especially you know in a country like the UK, there's absolutely no reason to fear spiders. Mm. But I know that a lot of people suffer from this, and and I can honestly say that the best way to combat that sort of fear is to learn more about them. The more mm. you learn about uh, some, you know, because fears are based on something irrational. It's based on something that's you know ideas you've got in your mind that's not actually uh, true right so the more you learn the more you realize about their amazing behaviors you know for example um the, the, what i was talking about a lot of uh, a lot of spiders are amazing mothers they will they will, will protect their babies they'll feed their babies they'll you know um th- th- what they're interested in is to create a nice uh, home for their babies just like we do right yeah. so mm-hmm. if you think about them like that maybe maybe that will help to reduce some of that fear um, and I can also recommend so I know that a lot of people have actually combated their fear by um, becoming members of various spider groups so for example on Facebook you can become member of, of various um, spider groups where for example if you see a spider in your home and you think oh, oh this might be dangerous even though you know it, it's probably not or it won't be <laughs> um, you can take a picture of that spider put that on the, the, the group on Facebook for example and a spider enthusiast will immediately tell you what that spider is, what what its role in the you know ecosystem is, and also um, assure you that it's not dangerous. And then you can see by the responses of all these spider enthusiasts that we have all around, both the UK but also the rest of the world, you will sort of that that sort of enthusiasm is actually quite contagious. So you end up being you know mm. being like, oh wow, okay, yeah, I didn't really think about it like that, and I can see that, and that's actually really cool and interesting. Mm. Um, so, I, so literally learning more is the way forward. <laughs> I, I completely, and your your enthusiasm for spiders is very contagious, I must say. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned something that I wanted to pick up on just now. You said that in the UK, it, most of the spiders that we have are harmless. Yeah. So when, when you look at, um, I can only talk about my experience here, when you think about spiders, we think about the black widow and all these kind of harmful ones that you see in movies and in mm-hmm. um, in news and stuff like that. So, are they are they prevalent in the UK, or is that something that's not existing here that will they, cause harm to 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 humans? Yes. Yeah, so, so I think it's important to say that there's only there's very very few spiders in the whole world that are of medical significance. So there's only about a handful of spiders that are actually deadly to to humans, and they occur mainly in Australia, um, and they definitely do not occur in uh, in the UK. Um, there's there's some spiders that have venom that could that could create a bit of a wound if they if they bit you, but again, they don't actually occur in the UK. Um, I know that very often we'll see news articles talking about this. Um, false widow spider uh, that mm-hmm. does occur in the UK and, and people get very frightened of that because it looks like a black widow uh, but it's not, it just does not have the same kind of venom so it is not in any way uh, <laughs> even comparable to those really uh, you know, dangerous spiders so if you, if you were very unlucky and got bitten by one of those here in the UK the false widows, it would feel like a bee sting mm-hmm. um, and that's mm-hmm. it if you are really, really extremely unlucky, you might be allergic to it, just like you can be allergic to a bee or a wasp. 
thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you would have to go out of your way to get bitten by a spider. Spiders, do n- they're not interested in biting humans. You have to really go and grab it and squeeze it before it will mm. bite you. Um, so... Um, so really, there is there's nothing to worry about. I would I would honestly be more worried about getting getting stung by a bee and being allergic to that than than any mm-hmm. spiders here in this country. That's a big relief, basically. Um, uh, Dr. Lina, um, uh, another question. Um, basically, you have told us that you're given guidance that how we can live with spiders as well. Um, Is there, is there any other way that we can have a view to um, have another view uh, of this creature to not look on them in a negative way? Is there any other way as well that we can look into them in a positive way as well? Yeah, I mean, so, <laughs> so, so again, uh, learning more about spiders, but there's and there's different ways of doing that. You you know, if you if you just sort of literally Google cute spider pictures you will find a lot of you know you can you can find so many pictures of spiders that are actually beautiful they have amazing colorations and patterns uh, they have big uh, big eyes like you know uh, puppy dogs and they've got you know little furry yeah. feet uh, and you know those kind of things i'm just looking um, at just googled <laughs> so 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 really just just sort of like um familiarizing yourself with those with, with the the more um attractive i suppose aspects uh, of spiders and that there are some that are really actually very very cute to look at i would say maybe i'm biased <laughs> 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 no indeed um dr lina um thank you uh for coming and joining the breakfast show it was very interesting to listen to you and the way you have told us to live with spiders as well. Um, thank you again, and I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you, you too, and thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Now, Shalib, I got a question for you. Sure. Now, I've learned a lot during this interview. I've learned a lot of all you, especially about that phobia you have. Um, are you are you a big fan of Spider-Man? I, I, I'm, I can't say I'm a um, huge fan of Spider-Man, but I've seen all of them. You have and, seen and all I of the Spider-Man. Like this is one thing yeah. I can't understand, you know. I know people who are, like, big fan of Spider-Man would do everything to watch every movie, or they like those movies as well, like you do. But then, if it comes to fears of spiders, they will be in the f- top ten, like, saying, oh, I can't go near to a spider because I'm scared. So... Um, this is like you know I've never understood that how can you like Spider-Man the movie when you are basically <laughs> fearing those creatures it's still completely different things right um, so but, I, but, but you know that, that, that he's bitten by the spider you know in the beginning in the movie and then you see the spider he, as well he's bitten by a radioactive spider yeah. and gets the superpowers and, and it's it's a good movie and I, I must, I'm, I'm biased because I, I like the original but the later ones I'm not so much of a fan of but You know, it's it's something that, like um, Dr. Lena said, it's irrational. So those those fear, like some people fear dogs, cats, spiders, a height, and all of that. A lot of it is irrational. So it's lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. Like I, I, I genuinely didn't know that. All, like the, um, like what um, the Dr. Lena was saying that all the spiders in the UK are harmless or will give you like mm. an allergy or, or, you know, if you're bitten, it's like being bitten by a wasp. I, I generally didn't know that. I thought that we still had spiders here that 
could harm you, could cause, um, could kill you, like like we see in films, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know that, but I think it's a lack of knowledge. Now that I know, and and she's kind of inspired me to go and look at it a bit more because truly I have a lot of spiders, especially where I live in the countryside. Uh-huh. We, we have a few dozens um, in the house at any given time. And most of the time they are high in the ceiling or away from it, but every so often... They are on the carpet. They're just walking, and, and then you I, scream. You know, I tend to get, I tend to get rid of it, or get, or to be honest, get my wife to come and get rid of it for me. But you know, if those kind of things happen, and it's an irrational fear that you know most people can work to to kind of conquer. No, but uh, she also said that they have a. I mean, great. Uh, I mean, they are there to get rid of the all all the other insects as well, and this is very important for them as well as you know because. It is. I yeah. mean, they have a they have a great power, and with great power, there comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, you, and you call yourself not a fan of Spider-Man, uh, huh? I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I never said that. I'm I'm a huge fan. I'm also a fan. Oh, okay. I'm also like you. I'm a fan of the original one. That's why I call it that yes. code. And you um okay, that's it from Spider-Man. But we still say stay with spiders. Um. Now, uh, uh, Sharif, uh, Dr. Lena actually basically explained uh, that how we can get rid of the negative light on, of spiders. Mm. Um, but, you know, uh, still, um, people have still that negative uh, f- or false information in the cause of spider. How can we mm. get rid of that? So, it's it's quite exaggerated by the sound of it. And... Um, And spiders are actually, like we've heard, um, quite pretty remarkable. They live almost everywhere, from rainforests to deserts. Um, Some even spend most of their lives underwater. And they are smarter than you think, with some able to make plans and count. And like we've heard, you know, Dr. Lena said, they even good mothers, and they look after in... um, in um, in groups look after their children and yet many people find these eight-legged animals creepy scary seemingly with fake news being partly mm. to blame mm. so media reports about people's encounters with spider tend to be full of falsehoods a new study finds researchers analyzed a decade's worth of newspaper stories and these articles were published in dozens of countries nearly half contained errors And those untruths about spiders had a distinctly negative spin. Wow. Uh, you know, um, Sharif, have you heard about uh, the story of in regards of the Holy Prophet peace upon him where he was protected by a spider web? Yes, in in um, the, the cave. In the cave of Saur, yeah. Yes. Or, yes. It yeah. is very interesting, that, um, uh, according like um, to that, It is said that when the Holy Prophet migrated to Medina uh, with his very dear friend Al-Ubakr, who became the first caliph after him, uh, they th- were basically, they um, went to that first, when they went to Medina, they were um, resting in a cave called uh, Thor, and the enemy approached that cave, and uh, The prophet and uh, his companion could see the legs of the enemies, and the enemies just need mm. to bow down, and they would have were able to catch them. But suddenly, they thought that uh, the entrance of the cave is occupied by a spider and his web. So they said it's impossible to get inside, or somehow they just 
thought it is not uh, uh they thought that uh, this cave is uh, um, dangerous itself because they're mm. div living different kinds of creatures as well and they didn't even look inside the cave and uh, i think this is i mean um, uh, um, uh, significant as well that the spider basically was there also to help or was sent by god to help or to protect the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. So this is also, like, because we were talking about spider, I thought I should bring this up. Um, the, uh, Sharif, um, I will continue with you, but before we do so, um, Sharif, um, we have another guest with us. It's Professor Sarah Goodcare, who is a genet uh, geneticist by training and works in the area of spider genetics, trying to understand how they are beneficial parts of the ecosystems around us and learning how to copy their skills for use in medicine and engineering. Um, Professor Sarah Goodcare, uh, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you very much for talking to me this morning. Um, I'm pleased to have you with us. Um, uh, Professor, we are talking about spiders and um, this is uh, a lot of people are basically afraid of the, this small insect. Uh, what do you think is the reason of that and do you think that this fear is justified? It's a really good question, and you're right. Very many people have concerns about spiders, um, but hey, at least there are no dangerous species. And actually, it is a bit of a puzzle because we've already mentioned on your uh, on your radio program today, there are very many cultural and historical reasons why we should look at them positively. And I think your your previous caller was just about to say there are actually some species, hey, such as the raft spider, that we really want to protect. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, they're special, they're unique to our own environment. So, for example, the raft spider here in the UK is slightly different to the raft spider that you might find in Central Europe. So if we lose it, we've lost it forever. So I think there are very many reasons to look at them positively, but you're right, many people are concerned. And sometimes I say to people, if, if they are concerned, about the good things that they do, the beneficial things they do in your home, so they eat insects and other things that we might not want mm. to live in our houses. Um, but actually also, can I tell you something about the really interesting things they do? So I learned something. I'm always learning something new. I learned this week that there's a little tiny species of spider that waxes its hair. <laughs> it makes like mm. a, a strange hairstyle on the front of its head by waxing the hairs that stick out just above its eyes. And I thought that in the year 2022, there is still so much to learn mm. Wonderful is um, the delicate things that a small creature in our homes or in our gardens can do. And I try and tell people about the positive sides of things. But you're right, people are concerned. And what I would say is if anyone is worried, please um, ask someone like me or talk to a friend um, who isn't worried about them and learn a little bit more about them. And then you start realizing that actually the creature on your doorstep or in your garden is something really quite incredible. And as you've already said on your program, in terms of our, our culture and our faith background, actually has an important part in structure of, of what we believe matters. Professor Sarah, we've, um, I was reading earlier that... Um, and the the spider silk and its genetics is um, is quite something that's being researched and and looked into in various forms, including parachutes and uh, bulletproof, using that kind of the way they're they're built. How what is unique about spider silk and its genetics? 
question. So what is so special about spider silk? Well, some people think, as you've said, you know, it's remarkably stretchy or strong or tough and we might be able to use it for those reasons. But actually, there is another fundamentally really important reason. And that reason is that silk is not recognised by the human body as foreign and as something it should attack. And that means that you can use it, for example, in wound healing or in allowing bones or nerves to regrow by using it like a scaffold. And it's because the cells of, of the human body don't recognize it as something that they should of or that they should react against. So people like me are often trying to make artificial versions of spider silk, using growing them using bacteria so that no spiders are harmed in the process. So we use the spiders as a, as a template um, and we copy the, the spider genes and we put them in bacteria. Bacteria make the proteins for us and we think that they can be useful for a whole range of different medical purposes other than the ones that you've just mentioned which are more engineering based um, and are, are structural based so for example making a very biodegradable stretchy elastic thread that you might use for example in parts of a parachute so it's re it's really it's the it's the the biological um, compatibility with us which is just a, a sort of an accident of evolution if you like but is yet another gift if I can put it that way um, that the spiders give us in terms of inspiration for new materials. Um, Professor, um, in this segment, I've basically learned a lot of spiders and I got fascinated by a few of their characteristics. Um, what if you personally, I want to know from you personally, what fascinates you about spiders and what led you to choosing this career? Really good question. So why does anyone end up, in fact, my granny used to say, Sarah, how did you end up working mm -hmm. in this area? And there are two reasons, really. So the first one is I'm trained to work with DNA. I'm really good. <clears throat> That's the thing I'm really good at. Really good at working out why a piece of DNA codes for a particular protein or doesn't code for it, what that means, and why, so for example, if we were looking at human populations, why you and I might differ at a number of different genetic, that means... Those to apply those skills to spiders, actually twofold really. One, the questions that you can ask are so interesting, so interesting and yet unexplored. So did you know there's a little money spider that lives in your garden, uh, in the hedgerows by the edge of your lawn, and in the males, two of the eyes, two of its eight eyes, are up on a long stalk corners. And I just find that amazing that we don't know how or why that happened, but we know that it did happen. So there's the interest value. But there's a second reason, and that is because the researchers in my area, in the area of spider biology, physiology, genetics, friendly, collegiate, they are also respectful and thoughtful and interesting people. And it was that really, that community of people that drew me to it. So I would say to any of your listeners, if you're interested in science, find a group of people that you enjoy working with, that you enjoy talking with, that will ask interesting questions like you're asking this morning. It allows a conversation that you, you end thinking, gosh, that's given me something new to think about. So that's really why I've stayed working with spiders. And if people ask me, well, what is it useful for? Well, it's useful for teaching people about genetics and what, how you um, understand what a piece of DNA does or doesn't do. But it's also um, inspirational because it gives you new, new ideas about what science might do to help um, populations in the near future or further down the line. Oh, that's very fantastic. Uh, Professor Good Cat, thank you for coming and all the best for the future.
Thank you. Dear listeners, um, this was uh, Professor Zarkutka. And now, dear listeners, we have another guest with us. This is uh, Jan Bacaloni. Of, of, I hope I've pronounced it correctly. Uh, <laughs> Good morning. Uh, morning. Um, uh, did I pronounce your surname correctly? Well, it almost it's Bacaloni. Oh, Bacaloni. Very close. <laughs> I thought it's, uh, for me, it sounded like Italian, so I'll try to... Is that correct? It is, actually. Oh, okay. Um... We were basic. We are talking basically about um, spiders, and um, I just want you to know um, what types of spiders are you responsible for, and how do do these types of arachnids contribute to their natural habitats and environment? Okay, so I'm the senior curator of arachnids at the Natural History Museum in London, um, and I'm responsible for spider species from across the world, actually. Um, and spiders contribute to their habitats in environments by being part of food webs. So basically, it's quite an intricate um, setup um, in nature where one uh, type of animal feeds on another and then something feeds on them. And it's a food web is quite appropriate when we're talking about spiders. But um, so they spiders can be food for other animals such as like birds and reptiles, etc., and parasitic wasps. Um, but they also, the spiders prey on um, themselves on invertebrates um, such as flies and mosquitoes, etc. So it, essentially, they're biocontrol. Amazing. And um, has working with these arachnids ever been a cause of fear? If so, what advice would you give to anyone with arachnophobia? Right. So if I was scared of spiders, then it wouldn't be a good job for me <laughs> to be in. Um, <laughs> I'm scared of the dark, but I'm not scared of right. spiders. Um, well, yeah, I've met many arachnophobes uh, in my course of working at the museum, as you can probably imagine. And um, there's various stages of arachnophobia from people who don't really like to look at them from even the, the name spider mm -hmm. can make them feel ill um, and it's a very real fear and I totally understand it but what I would suggest to people that you can actually get anti-arachnophobia courses so for example at London Zoo um, there's a, an anti-arachnophobia workshop run by a friend of mine called Dave Clark who does a fantastic job and um, they bring in um, a hypnotherapist as well and at the end of the I think it's one day course um, the members of the course um, are holding a live tarantula so actually, if you think going from arachnophobia to holding a tarantula <laughs> is quite something. But I would also say that um, certainly from a lot of the people I've spoken to, it's the fear of coming upon a spider um, that you, you didn't know was there. And then you, you suddenly see it can strike fear into arachnophobes. So I've recommended in the past that people maybe um, familiarise themselves with spiders a bit, maybe stick pictures mm. up of them. It sounds like contra to what you might want to do. Um, but then they can start to kind of see spiders on a regular basis and kind of de... 
can't really think of a, a way of explaining it. But, yeah, basically to get used to seeing them around. And, and I suggested this a few years ago. I tried a, a workshop at Natural History Museum, and, and by suggesting this, some people actually found it quite helpful. You've um, you've described my nightmare holding a tarantula, <laughs> so um, <laughs> oh. no, uh, it's it's one of those it's one of those things that I find quite um, challenging. I don't mind yes. spiders; I've got loads in the house. But when you start thinking about tarantula, the black widow, and all of those that yeah. you know yeah. we know from films and media are dangerous, that's when it gets to me. But but yeah, you've just described my fear. And maybe when I'm in London, when I'm in London next, I'll I'll. I'll pop into um please do uh, and, and yeah. come and have a look at it. Yeah, um, because actually I found that um well, on my one particular workshop I did, people were less scared of the tarantulas than they were the house spiders that you find in the UK. Um, and I think that's because they come upon them much more. And quite a few of the people I spoke to said that they thought tarantulas looked less spider-like because they had shorter legs and were quite fluffy and looked quite cute. So okay. I don't know if that applies to you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. And I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I will definitely pop in and have a look at the edition. Yeah. I think so. I think that'll be good for me. But... Um, my um, the question that I've got has the senior curator for spiders. What have you found out about um, this um, species that will astound you on this to this day? That still astounds you to this day. Oh my goodness! There's so many areas that I could talk about, um, and but I promise I'll keep it short. Um, for example, <laughs> maternal care in spiders you wouldn't really think that something, you know, really small in the cases of a lot of spider species would actually care for their offspring. Um, but I've actually seen, um, it's called the mother care spider, common name, uh, surprise, surprise, because what it does, it actually feeds, it's British species, it feeds its young by regurgitating fluid from its mouth. And the adult female is only a few millimetres long, um, but it literally feeds its babies like a mother bird would feed its chicks. Wow. Um, and then the fact that um, spiders produce silk, I mean, silk is the most amazing material, mm. um, and spiders use it use silk in lots of different ways um, from drag lines to producing webs etc um, and that never fails to surprise me and then spider courtship when the male spider is trying to approach the female to mate depending on the species and employ lots of different methods um, so for example peacock spiders are beautifully coloured jumping spiders mainly found in Australia and they use their colour and movement, body movement, to court the females. You know, and they're only a few millimetres long. And all these things, the more I read about spiders, the more astounded I become. So I've never lost that. I just <laughs> increase my astoundment quota, if you like. Well, I've I've certainly learned a lot today about spiders, and <laughs> I, I'd never thought it was possible. Like the whole motherhood 
um, and oh, yeah. everything that you know, and uh, the, the its benefit to the ecosystem and insects oh, yeah. and pest control. I'm I'm really amazed by it, and um, oh, great. yeah, it's been it's been amazing. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, thank you uh, uh, for uh, Ms., uh, thank you for joining uh, the breakfast you're show. You're very welcome, and I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you, and you. Thank, thank you. Bye. Bye. So, Sh- Sharif, um, I think that segment was very beneficial for you. You have learned a lot, and now you can overcome your biggest fear. But you know, I have also before we end, I have also a few advice for you as well, if you don't mind. Um, one thing. Yeah. One thing it. is, of course, uh, come to London and visit the, the zoo and have these classes, uh, as John uh, Bacaloni uh, already mentioned, or. One thing you can do is that as, when you see a spider, just don't think that they're spiders. Just imagine that this in front of you is Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland, <laughs> or Garfield. No, I'm serious. <laughs> and maybe then, maybe then you will overcome your biggest fear. I, I, um, I, it's, I think, I think um, John kind of touched on the point. It's not, it's not necessarily the fear of a spider for me. It's the fact that. You know, you open the door of the bathroom and it's just there. <laughs> it's that subtle um, um, thing that happens when you walk in. But but yeah, I get your point. It's it's that surprise that you get whenever you see one. That's that's what um, gets to me. But but yeah, I I, I I think I understand what you're trying to do. Yeah, that's good. That's that's very good, uh, dear listeners. Um, we have come to the end of the show. Thank you for joining. Um, thank you for. Uh, also, I'm very grateful to our guests that they have joined the show and made it very interesting. Sharif, thank you for giving you output. And uh, thanks to our production teams as well for that amazing script and amazing show. And of course, to our tech guy. Dear listeners, uh, if you want to learn more about Islam, stay tuned with the Voice of Islam Radio. Until next week, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace and blessings for Allah be with you.